Welcome to another episode of Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras. Karis on Crime explores criminal justice issues and cases in the news. Follow me on Twitter, at Beth Karras, and at Karis on Crime. And on Facebook, the page is my name, Beth Karras. This is the fourth interview related to a killing in Ohio in 2014. On New Year's Eve, 2014, shortly after 11 p.m., Colleen McKernan fatally shot her husband, Rob. They'd been married only eight months. After a whirlwind courtship, Colleen said she was defending herself from an abusive husband. She says this wasn't the first time she was on the receiving end of his rage, especially when he was under the influence of alcohol. That night, they attended a party but left around 11 p.m. and they headed to their home in Massillon, Ohio, just west of Canton, the county seat. Had this fight not occurred... They may have celebrated the new year at midnight at their neighbors, but they did fight. Colleen grabbed her gun, she says, to protect herself as she tried to leave the house. Rob, she says, came toward her in the narrow hall, and she warned him, then fired. Ten times. And then she called 911. 911, please fire medical. I'm really drunk, and I fucking, my husband put his hands on me again. Where are you? I, I didn't fucking, I didn't fucking kill him, oh my God. Where are you? Where are you, ma'am? 1753 Elk Hill Street. Okay, stand the line. Ma'am, let me get you mass on police. Hold on one second. I'm doing, I'm doing fucking CPR. Let me get your mask on. Hold on one second. Ma'am? Yeah? Ma'am, is he breathing? He's not. I tried doing CPR, but he's dead. Okay, where is the gun, ma'am? I don't know. What do you mean? I'm not going to hurt anybody when they call me here. He's not. I don't even know where it is. He fucking... Where did this happen at? Where you're at? In the room that you're at or in another room? He's in the house. Okay. I tried, I tried doing CBR. And this fucking boy coming out of his mouth. It's over. He's fucking dead. All right. What is his name, ma'am? I can't, I can't understand you, hon. Can you try that one more time? What is his name? McKernan. What is your name? Colleen McKernan. Rob did not have a knife or any weapon on him when Colleen killed him. But she says he had attacked her in the past, once suffocating her with a pillow, and she passed out and awoke in the shower. Police didn't buy her self-defense claim that night, and she was arrested. A grand jury indicted her for murder. Three months later, her family posted a bond, and she was released on house arrest awaiting trial. She went to trial twice last year in 2016, both times the jury deadlocked. Some believed she was defending herself. Others believed it was murder. Actually, most jurors believed it was murder. Earlier this month, this is April 2017, on the eve of her third trial, Colleen took a plea to manslaughter and received a seven-year sentence, and she could be out in half of that time. Had she been convicted of murder, she would have received a life sentence. Now, to better understand Colleen, her husband, the man she killed, Rob, and her case, I have spoken to Colleen's father, 
her attorney, and the jury foreperson from her second trial. And now I'm speaking to Rob McKernan's mother, Kathy McKernan. So I hope you find all of these interviews insightful. So thank you for joining me, Kathy. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. I know it's not easy to talk about this case, and certainly if there's anything I ask you that you don't want to talk about, you just steer me away from it. Uh, There are no rules here. So let's start by talking about Rob. Tell us about your son. Who was he? What was he like as a boy, as a young man? Oh, as a boy, he was was the most wonderful, very adventurous um, little boy. Um, I, I had had three daughters by a previous marriage, and then I was blessed to have Rob. Um, I did lose a baby in my almost six months of pregnancy before Rob was born, and um, then God blessed me with a a little boy, and that was Rob. He was very active, uh, very smart. Uh, He was very athletic with uh, baseball. In fact, he was scouted by the Atlanta Braves when he was in um, early high school. Uh, as a catcher, he was very talented. Um, he, go ahead. I'm what sorry. year was he born? He was born in 1985. Okay. So he's athletic, outgoing. This is in high school. You said he was scouted. Yes, yes. Uh, we had lived in Florida at the time, and he was on an AAU league down there. And uh, the uh, the scouts go around to different, you know, um, ball teams and whatever. And he was an exceptional. Uh, catcher. So they were looking at him for when he graduated from high school, and um, we were very impressed with that. So uh, that's what he was like. He was a wonderful son. Him and I were very, very close. I, he was just a blessing in my life. Um, he he was an awesome father. When um, Bentley was born, uh, he just he was just the best father. I mean, Bentley was number one in his life. He made sure everybody knew. Well, when was his son born, and to whom? Who, who's the mother? Okay, Jessica is Bentley's mother. Uh, him, Rob and her had a relationship for, I want to say, five years, maybe five and a half years. And uh, Bentley was born from that relationship. He was born on October 10th, 2010, 10-10-10. So uh, that's when little Bentley was born. And exactly three, almost exactly three years later, Rob met Colleen. Right. Okay, before we get to meeting Colleen and the relationship and the marriage, I want to ask you about what I've read regarding uh, Rob as a little boy. And, and tell me, um, you know, if you can, whether or not he was abused as a child or was it just okay. strict discipline? Yeah, his dad was very uh, strict with his discipline. Um, I wouldn't say he was abused, um, you know, when Rob didn't follow the rules. You know, he was punished. Um, It was later on, uh, as Rob grew up, that um, him and his dad didn't see eye to eye, I guess, when Rob, you know, became a teenager, you know, doing teenage things and stuff like that. But um, I wouldn't say he was an abused child. So... Had he, in, in fact, told some um, members of, uh, Col- uh, had told Colleen or members of Colleen's family that he had been uh, beaten up really bad by his father when he was a boy and hospitalized and on a feeding tube and he had a plate in his head? I mean, this I've, I've read this. Is that true? Well, okay. L- let me clarify this. First of all, um, when I had filed for divorce from Rob's dad, 
um, we had moved out of the home. Denny and I had been separated for months. That's Rob's dad, Denny. And uh, Rob and I moved to another location, another apartment. And I had filed for divorce. The marriage was over for various reasons. And uh, one particular night, his father came into our apartment, broke into our apartment, and um, attacked me in the shower. I was showering, getting ready to go to bed, and Rob was sleeping. And Rob heard the commotion, and Rob came to my defense. And him and his dad scuffled, and Rob was hurt from his dad. His dad was intoxicated when he did this, and um, Rob's skull was fractured. So uh, he was taken to the hospital. 911 was called. He was taken to the hospital, and um, he was seen by a neurosurgeon. And what they wanted to do at that time was to put a steel plate in his forehead. His forehead was all crushed in. And But they told me the risk involved would be liver damage as he grew that could turn into liver failure. Plus, he wouldn't be allowed to go into the military. So we opted, along with Rob's decision, of not to do that. Oh, so that ended his ball career. Oh, I see. So, but, so he had to be very careful with his forehead, but he did not have a metal plate in it. No, he did not. And I think, I don't believe that he told Gary that. I think... What he was telling Gary was they wanted to, but mm-hmm. we opted not to. I can see how that it, it, there was a misunderstanding in communication there. So he, wow, he was he was kind of beat up if he had a crushed uh, forehead. Wow. Yes, yes. He saved me. He really did. He came to my defense, and um, if Rob wouldn't have been there that night, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation. Gosh. Didn't, and your ex-husband, Rob's father, uh, ended up going to prison, right? Yes, he did. For that assault? Yes. He was arrested for um, domestic violence, uh, felonious assault, and aggravated burglary. And the way they explained it to me, when you break into somebody's apartment and you cause injury, it's aggravated burglary. So those three, he went to uh, prison for that for, I believe, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and when was that? What year? Um, 2001. I believe. Okay. Or so. 2002, excuse me. Okay, it so was early 2002. About 11 years before he met uh, Colleen. Right. Well, and, and he had already been in the military or, or not? No, no. He was still in high school. How could he get, get in the military? With the... Well, he wanted to, I mean, he eventually, that was his goal, was to go into the military. with either the Marines or the Air Force. And, he, and with this type of surgery, if they would have done it, uh, he wouldn't have been, he'd have been excluded from the military. So that was one of the reasons why we didn't choose to go that route. I would and then, of course, he did go into the military. I would right think, after. though, that, it, it, you know, there there would be a risk of uh, re-injuring himself if that, you know, if his baseball career ended. Um, I would right. think the military, there would be dangers he there, too. the physical, and um, they, they, there wasn't an issue with the military. Gosh. Now, had he had any uh, run-ins with the justice system? Uh, yes, he did. Um, uh, what are you referring to exactly? I want to understand what you're asking. Well, yeah, I mean, had he ever been, you know, arrested? Yeah, he was He was arrested for, um, oh, it was, uh, he had ransom stop signs one particular night. I don't know if he was 16, 17 years of age. I can't remember. It, it you know. 
and he was arrested for that in Perry Township, and then, of course, that was all resolved, and that was pre him going into the military, and Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that, um, there was a previous domestic violence. I mean, I know, as I've been hearing this uh, for over two years, that um, he did have an incident, and first of all, I'd like to talk about the girl in North Dakota, if I could. Sure. Tell us, okay. yeah, who who is the girl in North Dakota? Okay, um, Rob was stationed in North Dakota. This particular girl, her name was Sarah. I don't even know what her last name was. And give, and give us the year, roughly. Uh, geez, he went into the military, I believe, in two thousand and three. Okay. So it was somewhere after that. Okay, um, he met her up in North Dakota. I think she worked at a bar that the airmen went into. Anyway, he met her, and she was married. And I don't know if Rob knew she was married at the time, but to make a long story short, when he was, he got out of the Air Force, he came back to Canton, and he moved in with Mike and I, which, you know, Mike's like Rob's stepfather, and uh, he brought her with him. She had a child and a dog, and they came and stayed with us. So... um, then they, I guess they were going to pursue their relationship. She was going to get a divorce or whatever, and they got their own apartment. They weren't even in the apartment one day, and her husband had contacted her and wanted her to come back to North Dakota. So she chose to go back, but before she did, she started an argument with Rob at this. I mean, he had just, they just moved in. Didn't even have the stuff unpacked yet. And... um that's when she called the police and said that he smacked her or something like mm-hmm. that. But she never appeared in court. She went back to North Dakota, and when the court tried to get a hold of her, she never would respond. So that was the first incident. Was there and any- the charges were basically dropped. I mean, it was just like she wasn't there to contest this, so they just said, you know, disorderly conduct, whatever. And that's the first one. And and, and what, there was another one? Well, with Jessica, um, and I'm going to... These are her words, and, you know, we have talked diligently about this over the since this happened. When this happened with Jessica, this is the story that she had told me. Uh, Rob and her were living together on the west side of Mouthland out there and with Bentley, and she had met somebody else, and she told Rob, she was taking off for a few days, and she told Rob, when I get back, I want you to pack your stuff up and be gone. And uh, my girlfriend's moving in, blah, 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 blah. Well, when she came back in three days, he was still there. And he said he did not want to leave. Well, she was holding Bentley at the time. And um, she told me her words were, he pushed me up against the wall trying to take Bentley from me. And uh, that was it. She never called 911. It was her girlfriend that called. Um. Jessica wanted me to explain that she was never able to tell her side of the story about Rob, that he's not the monster that people have painted him out to be, never had been, and that she provoked Rob through their five-year relationship. I mean, she even took a two-by-four one time and smacked him, uh, knocked him down, hit him across his back, uh, punched him, kicked him, whatever. So that's how that relationship went. And uh, so they split, and that was probably, I want to say, a couple months before he met Colleen. 
Okay, so he's on the rebound from a five-year relationship. Oh, he was devastated because when she made uh, started a new relationship with a man, um, he was afraid he would never see his son. So he really went into a depression and just was devastated. And um, he still cared about Colleen. I mean, excuse me, about Jessica. And uh, but she wanted to pursue another relationship, so he had no choice but to you know, go along with that. Was he so when he met Colleen, yes. I what, was he was on the rebound. Well, was he so depressed though between Jessica and Colleen that he uh, attempted suicide? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. And I know Gary had brought that up that mm-hmm. he did it you know, he he was found in his vehicle in a garage. That's not the way it happened. Um, Jessica was living with my oldest daughter, Rob's sister. And Rob had come over there, and he was working midnight shift at the time, and he came over there early in the morning when he got off work, pulled into the driveway. There wasn't a garage there. And I think it was to get her attention, and he did not want to die, that they heard the truck running. And they came outside, and that's what he was attempting to do. But mm. I don't believe that he ever wanted to die. Right, that he was really serious about it, as you say, attention-getting, because uh, a lot of people who are serious about it, they succeed. Right. Yeah, right. They're not doing it when other people are around. Yeah, if he, he wanted to succeed, he would have never done it there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move to the relationship with Colleen, because, you know, we're okay. 15 minutes into our conversation, and we need to talk about her. Uh, yeah. w- tell us about, uh, you know, when you learned that he had met her. How did well, that happen? Yeah, uh, he had met her. He was at a, I believe it was a Halloween party. And right after the Halloween party, he had came over and he come over and he told Mike and I about, I met this girl, her name is Colleen, and she lives right over here in Perry Township. She was living with her grandmother at the time. And, you know, she's wonderful, she's pretty, she's, you know, uh, she's smart, she's in the Air Force, and um, I really like this girl. And... So he, he was letting us know he was going to pursue this relationship, you know, the dating aspect of it. So um, that's what he did. And then I remember it was Veterans Day, and he had Bentley that day, and him and Bentley met Colleen at Denny's Restaurant, and they had lunch together for Veterans Day because that, you know, ate free. And they went there, and that was the first time she met Bentley. I never met Colleen till great before the holidays in 2013. So this is, what, like two months after they met? Yeah. Yeah, I would say about six weeks. Okay. And what was your impression of her? Uh, I didn't like her. She was nice enough to a point, but she was very controlling of the conversation. It was all about her, about her family. Um... She she said things that I didn't think from my first meeting with, you know, my son's girlfriend that what she was telling us was even relevant at that time. Like, you know, um, she had fat genes in her family. Um, I really watch what I eat because my sisters are fat. My dad's overweight. Uh, when you have children, they wreck your body. You know, things like that. She just was odd. Mm-hmm. So that was my first impression of her. Well, did, did you say anything to Rob about your feelings? I did. Not when she was here, but 
but when he would come over, he came over for quite frequently. Um, him and Bentley, and they well, he lived with us here, and um, so yeah, I did. And I said, "Are you sure?" I mean, and he, said, you know, Mom, yeah, you just need to get to know her, you know, that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, all right, you know, I'm not a closed-minded person. I, I'll go along with that. So that's what we did. So how, when did you learn or how did you learn that they were going to get married in April of 2014? I mean, within, what, six months of meeting each other? Uh, right. It was either January or February of 2014. And Rob had called and said, Colleen and I are getting married. And I said, married? When are you talking about getting married? You know, I'm thinking, well, maybe a year down the road or something like this. And he said, we're looking at April. And I'm like, Rob, you, you don't even know her that well. And he's like, she's a woman for me. I really love her. You know, da 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 Well, you know what a man would say about his future wife. And, um, and uh, they really hadn't set any concrete plans at that point, at least not to my knowledge. And then it was about, I'd say, two to three weeks before the actual wedding ceremony. He called, and uh, I didn't have a date of this, so I'm thinking, when are when they getting married? So one day he called, and he said, we're getting married April 24th, but you can't come. And I said, what do you mean I can't come? He said, well, Colleen decided that it costs so much per head to go to Hocking Hills and whatever. I, I didn't know anything about Hocking Hills, but um, that it wasn't within the budget. And I was devastated. I, I, you know, I didn't argue with him on the phone. I got off the phone very quickly, and I sat here, and I cried. And I thought, oh, my God, my only son's getting married, and I can't be a part of it. Well, then two days before they got married, Rob called me. And he said, Mom, you and Mike can come to the wedding. That's it. Oh, and bring Mitch. Mitch was one of his best friends. And uh, it's going to be at Hocking Hills on this time, you know, da-da-da-da-da gave us directions, and so we went, just for the day. How many people were there? Um, it was Colleen's father, stepmother, her biological mother, her boyfriend, her grandmother, um, Kelly and Alex, which were kind of like, I want to say, uh, maid of honor, best man, myself, Mike, and Mitch. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the preacher or was a woman preacher. So was it a nice day? Uh, beautiful day, yes. Good wedding. Nice wedding. Nice wedding. It was okay. nice. It was very secluded. It was beautiful. Um, they, were, they wrote their own vows. Rob cried, which we still have that on video. He cried when he was holding Colleen's hand, uh, saying his vows to her. Um, it was very moving. Three little butterflies came, and they were all over Colleen's dress, and I thought, this is a blessing. You know, these butterflies are coming to, like, bless this union. <sighs> yeah. No other problem. No problems at the wedding? Everybody got along? Everybody got along. Um, after the ceremony, I mean, they had partied the night before. We weren't there. Um, but they, you know, some of the people had cabins, and, of course, Rob and Colleen and Alex and Kelly had... They shared a cabin together with a hot tub and so forth, and we knew they had partied the night before. And um, when we got there, Rob was sitting there finishing his uh, wedding vow, 
And I saw this uh, mark on his head, and I'm like, what happened to your head? Well, Kelly came out, and she was trying to put makeup on it, because, you know, we knew there was going to be photographers there and stuff, and he had only got a scrape on his head. People say it was a goose egg. I didn't really see a goose egg, but uh, he had drank a little too much. He fell over a, um, a, according to Alex, that was with Rob at the time, he tripped over a a tree root as he was coming down the porch step Mm. and fell on his face. So that's what happened there. Okay. So how much contact did you have with Rob and Colleen during their eight-month marriage? (laughs) Not much. Um, Rob, a lot. Rob would come here quite frequently. Do you live near? Do you live near them where they lived? Oh yeah, I live about probably about a mile, mile and a half away. Okay, same town. Okay. Yes. Yes. So you'd see Rob, not Colleen. Yeah, Colleen, I didn't see very often. Rob would come over when he wasn't working. He was on call twenty four seven. So whenever they called, he had to go. Um, I would pick Bentley up from daycare, bring him over here. Rob would come spend some time with him or take him out and do things with him, that kind of stuff. So I saw Rob quite often. What, what did he do for work? He worked on the oil rigs. <clears throat> In fact, he started out as a, um, what do you want to call it? Uh, he was just one of those, I guess at the low end of the totem pole when you're on the oil rig. And then he was just promoted within weeks of his murder uh, to a tool pusher. So, Where's the and, oil rigs? You know, where they, they go out and, you know, they... They um, drill for oil and uh, casings. He worked for Frank's Casing at the time of his death. In Ohio? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was, he had a good job. He had a very good job. He, he brought home between ten dollars and $12,000 a month. Mm. Very good job. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you would see him. You wouldn't see Colleen. Would he talk about Colleen? Uh, at times he would talk about her, um, how... I don't know how I want to put this. Well, I'm just going to put it out there. She was very controlling of finances. Very, she kept a, a like a a ledger. You know, they were on this budget, and uh, her dad had taught her how to be a millionaire by the time you're a certain age. It was the Dave Ramsey, I guess he's some financial guru or something like that. So she was very strict about the money. And uh, it wasn't just money. It was uh, Rob's friends who was allowed to come to the house, um, what he could eat. He wasn't allowed to smoke cigarettes. Now, Rob was never a heavy smoker. He was one of those social smokers, you know. Um, So she didn't want him to smoke cigarettes. In fact, the way she explained it was, I'm not going to kiss an ashtray. So he stopped smoking and started chewing tobacco because she chewed tobacco. And that was another thing about her when I met her. She carried this water bottle around, an empty water bottle where she spit into. And mm. she's the first woman I ever met that chewed tobacco. It's time for a break. You're listening to Karis on Crime. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Karis on Crime. I'm Beth Karis, your host. I'm speaking with Kathy McKernan, the mother of Rob McKernan, who was fatally shot by his wife, Colleen, on New Year's Eve, 2014. So he's the one who told you she was very controlling of the finances. Yes. She would say, I was trying to control his spending. Correct. The way it was told to me, 
is that um, she either had an alert system set up on her phone or her computer to when Rob would swipe his debit card, she would get an alert. And then she would call him or text him and say, you know, what did you buy? And why did you spend this much money? And that kind of thing. You know, just like at Christmas time, I can give you an example. She was uh, she allowed Rob to spend $100 on Bentley for Christmas. This was the last Christmas, 2014. And, um, of course, he did not comply with that. He went out and he spent a lot more money on Bentley. But on Christmas Eve, one week before he was murdered, we had a family gathering. Colleen was not present. She was at work, to my understanding. And Rob came at his older sister's house and with my other daughters, and we had a family, you know, food and celebration, opened up presents, stuff like that. Well, Bentley had all these gifts that Rob had given him that Colleen didn't know about. So Rob had to go to work, and he had to take Bentley back to his mom, and he gave me all these presents, and he said, I left the door open at the house. Will you please take all these presents over to my house, put them in Bentley's room in the closet, so Colleen doesn't see him when she comes in from work. And that's what I did. Hmm. All right. So. Uh, so let's talk about the last time you saw him. When was that? Christmas? Uh, yeah, Christmas. Um, I did talk to him. I'm not going to break down. I talk, He called me at 5 o'clock on New Year's Eve. And we, Mike and I, had been to the grocery store, and we were getting stuff for, you know, um, New Year's Day. And uh, we stopped, and we had um, some cocktails with some friends of ours celebrate the new year coming in now we are not partiers so we don't go out late at night stuff like that well rob called me about five o'clock and he was on his way home from dick's sporting goods i believe <laughs> and he said mom i just want to make sure what's your plans for tonight i don't want you know i don't want you out there you know drinking and driving and things like that you know what are your plans and i said well we're just going to stay home we'll have our pajamas on and <laughs> we'll be in bed before the ball drops well, what's your plans, Rob? Well, Colleen, when she gets off work, we're supposed to go to um, a party. I didn't ask where the party was or anything like that. And I said, okay, Rob, no drinking and driving. And he goes, yes, Mom. And I, he goes, I love you. And I said, I love you more. Mm-hmm. And that was the last I talked to him. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I'm all right. So how did you get the news? That Colleen shot him. We were sleeping, and Mike's phone rang. And Mike come flying into the bedroom, turned on the light, and he says, Kathy, get up, get a coat on, let's go. It was very frigid out. It was like 10 below zero. So I says, what's going on? He said, something has happened at Rob's house. I says, what's happened? So I'm putting my shoes on, I'm getting my hoodie, and, you know, we get in the car, and we drive over there, and we... We go up into, um, who had called was Mitch. He was at the party with Rob and Colleen. And after Rob and Colleen had left, he went outside to smoke a cigarette, Mitch did, and saw all these police cars and I believe a squad heading up Wells Road, which is towards where Rob lived. He said his gut feeling was, oh, my God. Something happened. So he got in his truck, and he went up there. The road was blocked off with all the police vehicles. 
And he called Mike and said something has he stopped somebody, a neighbor, and said, What has happened? And they said there was a shooting. So he told Mike there was a shooting. I had no clue who was shot. Didn't I, I at first I thought maybe it was a home invasion of some kind. And um so anyway, we're standing out there and all these police officers are around and um I'm asking questions and they said I told them who I was and they said um, we we will talk with you here in a few minutes. The doctor will be out. And I'm thinking, doctor? I'm thinking, okay, somebody's hurt. Okay, doctor's here. And next thing was the coroner. Mm-hmm. And he came out and he said, I'm sorry to tell you, but your son has passed. And I said, what happened? And I collapsed. I fell to the ground. And he said, he's been shot. And I said, who shot him? He said, his wife. So um, I said, where is she? And they said, she has been taken into custody. She is no longer here. And I said, can I please see my son? And they said, no, you cannot. It's a crime scene. So we stayed there for a while. And then I came home, and all the family had gathered here. And then one of the detectives called and said that he wanted us down to the police station. And what he gave us was Rob's personal belongings that were on him, which was a wallet, $23.86, um, his cheese, and um, a can of chewing tobacco. Tell me, there was a conversation you had with Colleen a couple of weeks before the shooting. Mm, um, okay. Uh, when she came over, that was... Um, can't remember. It was about four weeks, five weeks possibly before the shooting. And she had, we were supposed to go to Rob's house to have dinner with them. But that did not pan out. Um, Colleen's reason was Rob's is sleeping. He won't help me clean the house. So I'm going to bring dinner to you guys. So she brought pork chops, twice baked potatoes and dessert and whatever. Came over and she says, can I eat with you guys? And I said, sure. So, you know, we sat and we ate, and then she came in the living room, and she sat on the floor in front of our coffee table, and she said, um, I, I, I'm going to say this. I'm just going to put it out there. And I says, what? She said, if your son ever acts with me, I will shoot him, and I will shoot to kill. And I said, what are you saying? Did he hit you? And she says, No. I hit him. I kicked him in his balls. I punched him in his face. No, I'm just telling you, no man will put their hands on me, or this is what I'll do. And Mike and I just sat here and looked at each other and thinking, well, she's really upset, you know, so they're newlyweds. We didn't believe that she was going to do anything like this. And then she said, okay, well, I'm going home now. And then she got up and she left. And did you tell the police this story? Yes. Did yes, you t- I did the night that she was arrested. Yes, I did. Did you uh, tell the juries? Did you testify? I testified to that, yes, in the second trial, not the first, the second. She she admitted it, but she told Mike and I. And how did she explain it? Just exactly what she said to me. But did she say she was kidding or she was serious? She was serious. Okay, so... 
now at some point, so Rob has passed, and uh, at some point you learn that she is asserting self-defense, that she she killed him to prevent harm to herself. Yeah, I learned that, but she also had, in the first trial, she was saying battered women syndrome slash self-defense. So that's, yeah, we did learn of that when, you know, before I went to trial the first time, which I thought was ridiculous. But, I mean, I, I don't know. That's what, that's what her story is, that she was defending herself. And I had even told her, well, the defense tried to twist what I said to the police officer that night, the detective, when I gave my statement. But I said, okay, if, now this is a big if, you know, I came from an abused relationship. I know exactly how that works. But if you are in fear of harm to your life, she did not have to shoot him 10 times. I mean, if she was trying to get out of the house and he was preventing her, and I'm saying, yes, this is what Colleen's saying, mm-hmm. um, she could have shot him in the leg, the shoulder, anything to get time to get outside. But she didn't. I mean, 10 bullets mm-hmm. was extreme to me. Extreme. Did you sit through either trial? I sat through part of the first one because I was subpoenaed. By both sides. I didn't really think the prosecution was going to use me, wasn't sure if Ian Friedman was going to call me. So I couldn't go. I think it was the last day and, and a half of the trial I was allowed to sit in there. Second one, same thing. And after I testified on the second trial, then I was allowed to come into the courtroom. So okay. that's how that went. Did you hear Colleen's testimony? I heard it afterwards. I was not allowed in there when she testified. Okay. Did you watch it online? Yes, I did. All right. So what's your impression of her testimony? What I'm, my impression is she's lying. Totally. And what, you know, unfortunately, Rob cannot get on that stand and tell his side of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was based on, you know, the reenactment video, everything, on what Colleen said. But I do know that the forensic evidence of the location of Rob's body the shell casings, uh, all that did not support her story. How so? so do, you, do you recall how? Uh, because of, of where she said she initially shot him. She shot him in the face when he was in the hallway, is her story. Well, his teeth, she blew out his teeth, and they were around his head, which was near the dining room table. There was no blood spatter in the hallway. Um, no shell casing, nothing. Uh, it didn't jive. So, yeah. So you're saying the shooting may may not have even happened in the hallway? No, I know it didn't happen in the hallway, because I do believe forensics. They don't lie. And why would all the, the shell casings be around his body, which was uh, probably six, seven feet away from where she said it initially happened? He, he couldn't have he couldn't have made it that far. And how did four bullets get in his back? He was walking away. You know, as you had said that there was no weapons in my son's hands. There wasn't. But he had his cell phone right next to his one hand and his car keys next to his other hand when he was found. He was leaving. He was leaving her. 
And that's what he learned to do. When she started, he left. And that's what he was doing when she shot him. We know in our hearts that those first shots were in his back. She shot him in the butt first. And then the four in the chest. And the last two had to be in his mouth because his teeth were right there around his head. So you're saying the order of the shots was exactly opposite what the defense argued? Correct. That's exactly what I'm saying. And and are you saying that he had, he had his keys, he had his cigarettes, he was walking he out and she probably shot him, him to stop him from walking yeah. out? Yeah. You know, it just like she wouldn't, she knew that he was going to end up going back to that party or someplace, you know, and um, she wasn't going to have that. So that's what I believe was her motive of doing that. I don't believe it had anything to do. She was in fear. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that is strictly my belief. Yes. So she and had, goes, well, she had two trials and jurors could not be unanimous, right? Correct. Twelve jurors couldn't be of one mind. Right. What, what were you feeling when you went through this twice? Oh my God. It was, it was awful. Um, I was going into the first trial thinking, you know, this is hands down. This is a slam dunk because this is just not adding up to what Colleen's saying. And it was seven guilty, four not guilty, and one undecided, which we were told afterwards it was leaning towards guilty. The second one was nine guilty, three not. Sixteen jurors out of 24, that's two-thirds of the jury system, said she was guilty of murder. So it's just unbelievable why 12 people couldn't see what the evidence was showing. Well, you know, I spoke with one juror on the jury four person in the second trial who was one of the two in the second trial who voted acquittal. Uh-huh. And she had her own experience with domestic violence and just kind of could project and completely relate to what Colleen was saying. And she just believed Colleen. She shouldn't have been on the jury, in my opinion. She shouldn't have been on there. I mean, I know they have no way of knowing when somebody is telling the truth or, you know, when they're selecting the jury. But, yeah, being involved in uh, domestic violence or know somebody that was should have excluded her. And there was one juror, and it could have been her. I don't know. But that said, I am not going to look at any evidence. I'm not listening to any audio tape. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. She's not guilty. From day one. What? Um, I don't know that it's this juror. I mean, you you can yeah, I don't know assess either, yourself. But but, but uh, the prosecu- she was she was open about her past, and the prosecution kept her on. Well, the way I understand the law, and I know it a little bit better, unfortunately, than I did going into this, you can only exclude so many jurors. And so after you're allowed, you know, so many that you say no, we don't want them, we don't want them, then you have no choice but to take them. Well, you can't, you always, those are called peremptory challenges where you can just bounce people for, um, basically for no reason. But then you always have a challenge, which is called for cause, if you yeah. can state a basis. And, you know, that's a little harder, but there right. are other, other ways. Uh, so I don't know if they had run out of peremptories at the time that this juror was, was seated. Uh, but I well, know that, that she, my she, understanding, but, you know, again, I could be wrong. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. So at some point, on the eve of her third trial, you learn that the state, the prosecution, was offering Colleen a plea, a plea offer of manslaughter, yes, uh, right? I had met with the prosecutors, and we had discussed the pros and the cons of this, and um, 
it basically was left up to uh, myself and Rob's dad. Uh, our main thing was we did not want her to get away with this, uh, that there is a chance if it went to third trial that they would have found her not guilty, charges dismissed, she walks free. So this way, if she accepted the, the um, deal, that um, she would do some prison time. And that's exactly what I wanted her to do. Is seven years enough? Absolutely not. But it was better than taking that gamble of her walking out of that courtroom as free as I was. So we chose to go that route. And the prosecution was letting you basically make the decision? Well, no, in conjunction. I mean, they, they, you know, we discussed it. And um, they said it was, you know, whatever we wanted to do and um, to sleep on it. And that's what we did. And we decided, okay, we'll do this. Now, we at that time, we didn't know she was going to take the deal. We did not know that. So they said if she doesn't accept this plea deal, then we will take it to third trial. And said, okay. So I know everybody, not everybody, Gary had emphasized, and I know Laura Mills did too, you know, she they feel she's going to be out in three and a half years. Well, that's not a given. I mean, there's a lot of things that are based on that. She can't get into any kind of trouble while she's in prison. Um, you know, there's stipulations to that. We right. have to say in that when she comes up through judicial relief. Uh, so, but, you know, he says, well, I'm going to be down there September 23rd and pick up my daughter, 2020. You know, well, <laughs> I understand why he feels that way, but um, I, I want to touch on, you know, the Ian Friedman, and I, I want to bring this up that he and was... This is the lawyer, Colleen's lawyer from the first trial. First trial, yes. Had been very respectful to our family. Gave us his condolences about what Colleen had done. In the second trial, we did not see that. Not at all. Gary had never approached us and said anything. He was very disrespectful in the courtroom. His daughters that were there <laughs> fell asleep during the court proceeding. And my daughter was sitting next to one of his daughters, and the deputy told my daughter to wake her up. She had her shoes off, her feet up, and she was sleeping. It was like... I'm so bored of being here. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> well, having spent, you know, years in courtrooms, granted, not a trial of um, a person, you know, a family member right. who was murdered I or whatever, thought, but oh my gosh. they can be boring. <laughs> Trials can have their boring parts. Well, they can be. Yeah, I understand that. But I just, it was a lot of things, and there's no sense of going into it. He knows how he conducted himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, Gary's different, mm -hmm. and um, but that's. Well, he fiercely yeah, is fighting for his daughter, and he he believes her. Um, right. And you believe Rob. Uh, you you had no yeah. idea that there were any problems in the marriage, or besides her well, calling controlling the money. Other than her controlling the money and what he ate, and you know, like I never got to finish that. I used to have to go over there. Rob would get called out to work. Mom, you got to run over to my house. You got to get my pizza box. You got to get the bag of potato chips. You got to throw them in the trash. And I say, okay, I'll throw them in your trash. No, not my trash. Take them to your trash because Colleen goes through the trash because she didn't want him to get fat. So he wasn't allowed to eat cookies or potato chips or pizza or McDonald's or mm -hmm. whatever the case might be. I made several trips of doing that, mm -hmm. which there's nothing I wouldn't do for my son. So I did it. I thought it was ridiculous, but I did it. Um, but uh, other than he told me that Colleen said he drank too much. And I said, what I said to Rob was, if you think your drinking is a problem, then do something about it. And he said, well, we're talking about going into conflict. And I said, okay. 
And after that, everything just seemed to be fine. They went on this family vacation December 16th to December 23rd because I went over and fed Penelope her cat. They took Bentley and they took Scarlet and Gray, the two dogs. Went to Buffalo and spent a week. And mm-hmm. every they had a great time, as far as I know. When they came back, everything seemed to be fine. And then one week later, I don't know. Well, given the facts in this case, I don't know if 12 jurors are ever going to agree. Granted, you know, more believed that she was right. not justified than did. But, you know, right. it's uh, it's good that it's been resolved. I know that. You oh, know, I am, I am glad that it is. There is some kind of closure. I mean, there's not a day that I don't go by that I don't think about Rob 24-7. I do. I miss him. I still wait for him to come to my house because I would cook for him, you know, and he liked certain things I made, um, him to call. And it's, it's been hard. I have my good days and I have my bad days. And when I'm having my bad day, I go to the cemetery and I sit with him and I talk. Mm. And it's mm. therapeutic to me. Mm-hmm. Well, Kathy McKernan, I, I really want to thank you for sharing your thoughts. I I know this is you know it's a it's horrible horrible to have to relive it, but you know I appreciate your thoughts um, about the whole case, and uh, I'm sorry for your loss, and I just wish you the best. I appreciate that. I thank you so much for your time because um, for two years I wanted to be able to talk for Rob, and you know because of a gag order and so forth, uh, we I could not, and so now I. This has helped me to tell Rob's story. Well, that's good, right. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this latest episode of Karis on Crime. I welcome your feedback, your questions and ideas. Post them in the forum on Karis on Crime. If you're a member or on social media, my Twitter handles are at Beth Karis and at Karis on Crime. And you can also find me on Facebook on the page with my name, Beth Karis. And until the next time, be well.